Alrighty. Well, we are in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. And boy, I'm telling you, this book, I, I have struggled putting lessons together on the book of Genesis because there is just so much there. It's like, man, we'll be a year in chapter one. There is just so much there, so many applications you can make. And I'm like, we got to find a way to apply all this so that we're not just here forever. And so uh, we are starting into the book of Genesis. Of course, several weeks ago, we introduced the study into Genesis. And uh, because the outbreak in COVID, we uh, closed a church there for a while. And uh, I was really wanting to, to make Genesis a, a, a more personal study. And I felt like just doing it online that we would lose some of that. And so I'm like, well, I want to hang, out, hang on until we come back together. And so actually it was back in November when we taught the first lesson on the book of Genesis, which I do have that outline in your book for you so you can look back over that. But uh, when we begin to introduce the book, we looked at its importance as a foundation to the rest of the Word of God. And then we also saw the uh, awesome amount of questions that the book of Genesis answers about life uh, in the first 11 chapters. And boy, just Genesis is just full of so many answers and such an important foundation. I personally believe Genesis is one of the most important books, if not the most important book, uh, in the Word of God because um, <clears throat> it establishes a solid foundation for us to build everything else on. And it's amazing to me, I believe it speaks of the importance of Genesis whenever you see the forces of the devil doing their best to tear down the book of Genesis. They attack the book of Genesis. Uh, it's the only book in the Bible that is openly rebuked in our school systems. It's the book of Genesis. And they are trying to undermine the, the authenticity of the entire Word of God by tearing down that foundation in the book of Genesis. I believe that if, if you can question the Genesis account, then you can question the entire Bible. If you can question what Bible says in Genesis, then, then there's no reason for you to believe anything else. And I believe that's why for centuries Satan has levied his attack at the book of Genesis and children are being taught that Genesis is false. And then when they get up old enough that they can reason and we try to teach them from the remainder of the Word of God, they don't know whether to believe it or not because the foundation was destroyed early in life. And I believe that... Uh, the devil is effectively crippling people's um, ability to put their trust in the Bible by destroying the foundation of Genesis. So with the Lord being our helper, we'll study some truths uh, in the book of Genesis and, and seek to establish both the authenticity and as well as recognize and bring to light some doctrinal principles that are found all throughout this book. Uh, tonight we're going to begin in verse number 2 and look at the first three days of creation where God established life on the earth. So let's look at starting in verse number 2. And the Bible says, well, let's just read verse number 1 just to get context. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. 
And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, and the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. Here in this passage we see the beginning of creation and the process whereby God established life on the earth. Now there's a three-step process you see there in your notes that we're going to be looking at here uh, in a minute on how God established life on the earth. Uh, But before we get into that, I want to take a minute and address a common teaching among Christians uh, that actually does harm to the authenticity of this account uh, of the creation, and that is the gap theory. So that's the first thing there on your notes is the gap theory. And so we want to take just a moment and look at this uh, and understand why it is important uh, to understand that this uh, is not accurate. And the reason that I bring it up, you say, well, I've never even heard of the gap theory. Uh, The gap theory was made popular. uh, Specifically, uh, it was started back in the late 1800s by a theologian, but it was picked up uh, uh, in the early early mid-1900s by C.I. Schofield and J. Vernon McGee. And they were big uh, proponents uh, of the gap theory and really pushed the gap theory. And uh, a lot of churches and preachers bought into it. Uh, It's not as popular now as it once was, but there are still a lot of people who firmly believe in the gap theory. And I know that a lot of us uh, use Schofield Bibles and uh, for the most part, uh, Brother Schofield is a a great man of God and has great notes, uh, uh, but because he does believe in the gap theory, and I know a lot of us use uh, his Bible and read his notes, I thought that it'd be important uh, to take a look at what <clears throat> the gap theory was. Uh, the gap theory is a is a teaching, uh, of course, like I said, it was made popular back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, by certain theologians who were trying to consolidate the Bible uh, account of creation with scientific research that stated that the earth was millions of years old. So geologists say that the layers in earth, the fossil record, all these things prove that the earth is millions of years old. And so there were these theologians who felt like, well, if the earth is millions of years old because the scientists say so, then somehow we have to find millions of years in the Word of God. They did not believe evolution, so they weren't going to accept evolution, so they tried to find a way to reconcile the millions of years with the creation account. Because if you look at the creation account, uh, you find that the earth is about 6,000 years old. According to the historical record we have here in the Bible, the earth's about 6,000 years old. Uh, But the scientists are saying it's millions of years old, so where does that fit? And so these theologians said that there was a gap between verse 1 and verse 2 of the book of Genesis. That right there between those two verses, there was a gap of millions of years. Uh, uh, they say that the, the first verse is the first creation and the second verse is the recreation. They say that, between, that in verse 1, 
<clears throat> excuse me, uh, that God created a perfect world in verse number one. Absolutely perfect world, but because of sin, he destroyed it, completely destroyed it, and that it sat dormant for an unknown period of time, but most likely millions of years. And then in verse two, we have his recreation. And so I give you a couple of, uh, there's, we could spend all night talking about the gap theory. I don't think it's necessary to spend all night talking about the gap theory because it's false. Uh, but I will give you a summary of what it teaches and then give you some problems as to why it is not so. And my uh, slide person up there is getting way ahead of me. If you could back back up there, there you go. All righty. So now we'll give a, a, a summary of the, and by the way, I really appreciate everybody up there helping me out. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So uh, we got a summary here uh, of the uh, gap theory. The first thing is that the gap theory assumes a period of millions of years between verse 1 and 2. And as I said, uh, it, it believes that there was a perfect world that was destroyed. Many accredit the sin that caused the earth to be destroyed to the rebellion of Satan, which we know that uh, Satan rebelled in heaven. God cast him out and cast out the angels that followed him. They say this is the sin that caused God to destroy the world and leave it setting in this uh, unknown state for millions of years. Uh, according to the, the proponents of the gap theory, so we have a, a one creation in verse 1 and a second creation in verse 2. Then we also see uh, that in addition to assuming a period of millions of years between the first two verses, the gap theory also assumes an original failed creation. Now this is important uh, to recognize this word failed because we're talking about a God who does not fail. But they're saying that the first was a failed. It, uh, the theory assumes that God failed at his first attempt and had to start over. Uh, the animals of the previous creation apparently did not feel God's original purpose so he destroyed them. And in the second creation God made plants that were identical to the first creation. So uh, we, we see that, that he didn't change anything if the gap theory is true. He made the second world just like he made the first one. And then, and which I think this is the, one of the biggest things that show the falsehood of this, uh, we know the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve were the first human beings created. The Bible teaches that plainly. So if that is true, then there were no human beings in the first creation. And the reason for creation was for mankind. That's why God created the earth, was to create a habitation for mankind. So it doesn't make sense that he would have created a previous world that didn't have humanity in it when that was the crown and reason for creation. So it assumes a failed creation and a second recreation. And then the third thing, if I can turn my page here, um, is... Uh, that the, the gap theory was popularized uh, during the 1800s and 1900s as an effort to reconcile the creation account with the geological records that were thought to be indicate millions of years. You know, any time that the world says one thing and the Word of God says something else, we are wise to simply follow the Word of God. It doesn't matter how convincing what the world's purpo uh, proposing is. You're always better to simply follow the Word of God. And this applies in a lot of areas beside creation. The world produces a lot of information about how we should live our life, what our priorities should be, uh, what type of goals we ought to have. 
if it doesn't agree with the Word of God, then we need to just stick with the Word of God. Anytime we try to take a worldly teaching and integrate it into the Word of God, we do harm to the Word of God. And, and there are preachers and Christians, so-called, who do that every day of their life. They take the popular teachings of this world and try to integrate them into the Word of God instead of letting the Bible speak for itself. Uh, so in trying to do this, they damage the Word of God. Uh, there are some problems some problems uh, uh, with the gap theory. Uh, the first problem is that the gap theory undermines and discredits the flow of the creation account as found in Genesis 1. So by teaching that there is a gap between verse 1 and 2, we interrupt the flow of the Scripture. Uh, verse number 1 is a summary. Ten words, I believe it's ten words, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Ten words that summarize the entire scope of what God did. Verse number 2 breaks that down for us and tells us what He did step by step. It makes perfect sense to read it just like it's written. Here's the summary. Here's the details. Whenever you teach the gap theory, you undermine and discredit that flow of Scripture. Also, another problem with uh, the gap theory is the gap theory proposes that there was sin in the world, that there was death in the world, and that there was judgment in the world before Adam. And that strongly contradicts what the Bible says in Romans chapter number 5, that sin entered the world through Adam. In Romans 5.12, the Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. If you drop down to verse number 14, we see that that one man who is being spoken of in verse 12 is Adam. It says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Then verse number 19 reconfirms one more time, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Sin did not exist in the world until Adam. Adam is when sin came into the world. Adam is when death came into the world. It is very clearly taught that sin, death, and judgment came into the world by Adam. Uh, but when we teach the gap theory, we teach that there was sin before Adam. We teach that there was death before Adam. And we teach that there was judgment before Adam, which clearly contradicts what the Bible so clearly teaches there in Romans. And then the third problem we have with the gap theory, and there are many, many more problems. I just tried to summarize it. Uh, the third problem that we have is that the gap theory discredits the fossil record being caused by the flood of Noah. Uh, there's much proof, volumes and volumes have been written that prove that the fossil record was caused by the Genesis flood. The reason that scientists and geologists teach that it took millions of years is because they don't believe the Bible. They don't believe the account of the flood. They don't believe that ever happened. So they try to find a different answer. Whenever a Christian who does supposedly believe the Bible tries to teach a gap theory, that Christian is also disbelieving the Genesis account of the flood. Uh, it discredits the fossil record being caused by the flood of Noah. Um, if the present-day fossils are a result of a worldwide destruction that happened before Adam, then we must assume that Noah's flood 
didn't leave any trace whatsoever. If all the fossils, all the bones, all the geological layers were caused before Adam, then Noah's flood didn't leave any marks on the earth. That doesn't even make logical sense. And if I'm going to believe the Bible, I would much rather believe that an account that God recorded is what caused the fossil record than to think that a missing passage of Scripture between verse 1 and 2 is what caused the fossil record. It's just more logical to believe the account that he has recorded for us. And so the, the gap theory is a common teaching. If you use Schofield or J. Vernon McGee, you'll probably uh, come across them teaching the gap theory. Uh, but do understand uh, there are a lot more problems with the gap theory than what I've told you tonight. It just doesn't hold water. It's not a, a solid teaching, but many people try to insert that between verse 1 and 2. But we understand the Genesis account to be whole and complete with no need for us to insert anything or modify anything. Uh, and so we can just take it as it is written. And so we come to verse number 2 and we see a three-step process for establishing life. A three-step process that God used for establishing life on the earth. Uh, the first thing that we see that he did is he brought light into the darkness. He brought light into the darkness. In verse number 2 it says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now throughout, I'm just going to add this in. This is a little separate nugget for you here. Throughout this creation account, you will see this phrase, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And many people have asked, why did the Lord record it that way? Well, here's a thought that I've had, and I can't remember if I read it somewhere or if I thought it on my own, so I'll be honest with you. I don't know if this is mine or somebody else's, but it's mine now. Uh, but uh, whenever you look at the creation account, God did far more than just create the world. He could have spoke the world into existence instantly. He didn't need seven days to create the world. He didn't need six days. He didn't need two days. He could have instantly spoke everything into existence. But in creating the world, he also created time. He also established the week, a seven-day week. Uh, God established that when he created the world. He did that for us. And he also established when we're supposed to work. Now, I know in today's time we work around the clock, but God established a routine for mankind. You see that God worked throughout the day. And when evening came, nothing else happened. And so from evening to morning... Nothing happened. So here we have the account of the full day. What did God do? God moved on the face of the water. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God divided the light from the darkness. God, God spent the entire day working, and now he's came to the evening. There's nothing else to record. And the evening and the morning were the first day. God established that we work in the day and we rest at night. He established it in the creation. And that is, I believe, why it is worded that way. Whether or not that's true, I don't know, but I thought it made good sense to me. So the evening and the morning, this was the end of the day. There was nothing left to record. Uh, the evening and the morning were the first day. But we see the first thing that he did was he brought light into the darkness. This step of creation, I believe, declares the power and knowledge of God as much, if not more, than the entire rest of the creation. Whenever God said, 
let there be light, and there was light. Do you know that man has learned how to create light? We, we have learned how to create light. Uh, uh, we are able to see the effects of light, but we cannot explain or describe what light is. It's, no man has ever been able to fully explain what it is. We know how to create it. We see the effects of it, but we can't explain what it is. But God said, let there be light, and there was light. In His supreme ability, He spoke and created an illumination that has never been fully explained or understood. Let there be light. You know what? This statement tells us that the God we serve is way, way above us. The first thing He put together, we've never been able to explain it. God spoke, let there be light. I believe one reason that man cannot explain light is because light comes from God. Light is divine. The Bible says in 1 John 1 and verse number 5, God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. In Revelation 21 verse 23, the Bible says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Light is a divine source. It comes from God, and man will never be able to explain light. But God said, let there be light, and there was light. The second step in establishing life on the earth was he brought order into the disorder. Now we see there in verse number 2, it said the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. It was a state of disorder. Here we see that God separated the water from the land. Look here in verse number 6. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. The evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place. And let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth. The gathering together the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. We see here that God separated the water from the land. At this point, before God spoke, the entire earth was covered in water. There was no, no distinction. There was no definition. It was just a blob. But God brought order to the disorder. He brought definition to that which was out form. He defined boundaries. He created borders. Uh, he created the atmosphere. He outlined the continents. Uh, he put limitations on the sea. He took that which was chaotic and gave it clarification. He took what seemed worthless and he uncovered its potential. Here was something that seemed like it had no purpose no, no ability to have purpose, and God uncovered its potential. Keep this, all this in mind as we head towards the last point of the lesson. The third step in establishing life on the earth was he brought life into the deadness. So God took and he separated the waters. He defined the continents. Uh, he, he, he made the dry land appear. Uh, he gave a definition to an earth that had before been without form but it was still dead. But we see here in verse 11 to 13 that he brought life 
into the deadness. The Bible says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning were the third day. Here we see that God brought life to the deadness. Boy, I tell you, I have a, a video that once we're done looking at all the days of creation, I hope to, to show the video, and we may do that some. I've got uh, several videos coming that just really give a visual of what's going on here that some Wednesday nights uh, we'll just give a, a brief overlook and then we'll watch the video. And i got a video coming that I believe does a tremendous job of creating this picture of that dead earth springing to life. And we'll probably be watching that in a couple of weeks. But on the third day, God beautified. He made beautiful what had been just a blob in space. He took something that looked useless and now he has made it beautiful. What had been without form and void is now bursting with life. You know, um, I hope Melissa don't mind me picking on her here, but she loves flowers, she loves plants, she loves greenery, but it's all got to be plastic. You know, the kind that needs water and sunlight and these things, they just don't do well at our house, you know. It's got to be plastic. And from a distance, the plastic looks good, you know, but when the wind blows, it just sits there. Whenever the sun shines, it just sits there. It doesn't matter what happens, it never changes. It just sits there. Now it's pretty and she does a great job decorating her house and I agree, use the plastic stuff because I heat with wood and I would burn it all up anyway. Um, but it's plastic. There's no life in it. God could have beautified this earth with plastic. Things that were, he made it once and there it was and it stayed for eternity. Never, never changed, never grew, didn't blow in the wind. But no, he made his beauty alive. Whenever the wind blows and the trees go back and forth, uh, you see in the summer and the breeze blowing across the hay field and all the hay leaning over in the breeze, uh, the grass waving uh, as the wind blows, whenever the rain comes and the leaves fall off of the trees, his beauty is alive. And boy, by making the beauty alive, I think it is so much more than what man would have ever even comprehended to do. God said, I want to beautify it, but I want the beauty to have life. I believe in this step, not only did he make what was apparently worthless a beautiful place, but he also revealed just a glimpse of both his unlimited ability and his love for diversity. Do you know that although here in the Word of God there are only three kinds of plants described here in the Word of God, and we will look more at this uh, phrase after their kind later on, but there's only three kinds listed here in this passage. But within these three kinds, there are over 100,000 varieties of plants on this earth. I, above Ted, if I'd have been creating the plants, I'd have maybe made two kinds, grass and trees. I mean... Over a hundred thousand kinds. God gave us a glimpse of his unlimited ability. He's like, you want grass? Over 5,000 types of grass. You want grass? Here's grass. You want plants? 
here's plants. You want trees? Here's trees. Over 100,000 varieties that God put on this earth. It showed there is no limit to what I can do. As far as I know, still to this day, they've never found two snowflakes that look exactly alike. God said, my ability is unlimited. He said, and I also want to give you an idea that I don't like everything to be exactly the same. You know, as humans, we have a tendency to want everything to be exactly the same. We want all people to think exactly like we think. We want everybody to decorate their house the same way we decorate our house. We want, I mean, we just, everything we have, we want it to, we think everybody should be exactly the same. And we know that because when someone is not exactly like us, we criticize them. <laughs> Look what they did. Can you believe they did that? We think everybody should be just like us. But God said, let me give you an idea here. I don't like everything being the same. I like diversity. And so when God put, made the earth beautiful, he filled it with 100,000 variations of beauty. What was dead was now full of life. And this is only the third day. If we could say it this way, I, I know it applies to humans. I don't think it accurately applies to God. But he's just getting warmed up. He is just getting started. This is just the third day. But before we close, I want to take a moment and look at a spiritual application that is found here in these first three days. Here in this creation account, remember, the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation is the story of the gospel. From beginning to end, the purpose of this book is to proclaim to man that there is hope, there is salvation, there is a, there is a promise that you can have. It's, it is the message of this entire book. And right here in Genesis, the first 13 verses, we have a picture of salvation, a picture of salvation. I'll give it to you very quickly. First of all, man without God is in darkness. Man without God is in darkness. In verse number 2, the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. We see there a picture of a man without God in darkness. But then we see there in verse number, uh, verse number 2, it says, And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. We see that a man without God is in darkness, but we also see that the Spirit of God can bring light into a darkened soul. Man without God is dark, he is lost, he's without hope, but the Spirit of God can bring light, he can take away the darkness that is in the soul. And then we seen there from verse, uh, verse 6 down through verse number 13, all that God did with the earth after he brought light into it. And I believe that a life that has been enlightened by the Spirit, will develop order where there was disorder. And what was dead will become alive. Right here in the first 13 verses of the book of Genesis, here as we look at the beginning of creation, there is a picture of salvation. God can take that which was dead, that which was dark. He can bring light. He can take that which mankind thought had no worth, and he can uncover its potential. He can make it beautiful. God can bring a change not only in the earth, but he can bring a change 
in the lives of mankind. And so a spiritual application that we see here in the creation. So hopefully uh, you enjoyed that uh, lesson from the book of Genesis and we will continue uh, working our way through Genesis. And I tell you, there is so much to be found here in the book of Genesis. I'm not going to get in a hurry. There may be some times that we spend the whole night on one verse. There may be times when we look at a whole chapter. We're not going to get in a hurry. We're just going to see what God has for us here in the book of Genesis. At this time, uh, as we close our service, we want to get a couple of people to uh, take us to the Lord in prayer and remember the requests that were mentioned at the beginning of the service. And uh, so I'll get a couple of people here. Uh, Brother Corey, could I get you to lead us in prayer? And then Brother Ted, if I could get you to close us in prayer.
adapted that we might have a Savior and one that could bring salvation for us. Father, we thank you for this night. We pray, Father, for all those whose names were brought forward tonight, that you would bring healing, that you would bring comfort and encouragement to each one. Father, we just pray, Father, that you would be with each person who goes to a hospital or some type of uh, medical uh, establishment that waits on people who are suffering from this uh, virus that is running amok. We pray, Father, that you would help them, that you would stand by them. We pray for those who have uh, gotten this disease, uh, this virus. We pray for their healing. We pray, Father, that you would be with those who have lost loved ones, that you would comfort them. And we just pray that through this terrible pandemic, that somehow the world will see the need for Jesus. And we pray this in his holy name. Amen. Thank you for being here. Uh, the offering baskets are on the tables at the door. If you had uh, brought some offering, uh, everything comes in to go to missions. Just drop that in at the offering baskets on your way out. Thank you all so much for being here.